Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. Oh my God. (laughs) What is wrong with me? It's all right. It's the 22nd of May, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley, And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about queers and the state. We talk a lot on this podcast about public debate around queer issues in Australia, and Ben and I have been thinking for a while now about the fact that there's a common theme running through a lot of these debates. The role of governments and other state institutions in protecting and recognising queers. Arguably the two most high-profile queer issues of the past few years in Australia, marriage equality and the Safe Schools anti-bullying program, both fit the bill. In the case of the former, queers are asking the state to recognise our relationships, while for the latter, we are asking for government-funded, or in some cases even government-administered, protection for queer young people. The idea of the state as a primary focus for the granting of rights and protections to queers is particularly problematic, given that, historically, the state has been the source of significant persecution for queer communities, through both laws, policies, and the actions of state institutions like the police. So why are queers increasingly looking to the state for protection and recognition, How critical should we be of this approach, and what are our alternatives? So, Simon, uh, in the hot seat, before we get too cynical, let's start somewhere a little more glass half full, although, you know, it's actually just a kind of, like, devil's advocate question, so you'll get to be (laughs) cynical right off the bat, I imagine. Haven't we made... uh, Let me me do it with a more appropriate tone. Haven't we made significant progress over the years in areas like legal rights for queers and even support through proactive government policies? Look, I think uh, probably, you know, let's start off the bat and be be a little bit less cynical. Um, yes, I think is actually the answer. I, I think I relayed this um, experience I had with you um, when I was in... Not an experience. I relate an experience with you that I had when I was in Melbourne last year, where I went to a conference, and um, there was this huge conf- controversy at this conference because someone suggested the idea that um, things have gotten better for queer people for queer people over the past ten years, and and sort of people were outraged at this and saying, you know, that was a typical white gay man perspective, you know. But I think if you look at you know in terms of laws, in terms of legal status things have gotten significantly better for queers over the last 10, 20, 30 years. You know, people are no longer facing um, persecution. People are no longer... Well, sorry, let's put... People are no longer facing legal persecution for having gay sex, for example. Homosexuality is now decriminalised. You know, so we can't, you know, discount that kind of stuff. I think that's really, really important. And I think that progress is important and it's, and it's clear and it's, it's quite successful. And I don't, you know, I don't... It's actually kind of important to start this conversation at this place in some ways because I think it's actually important to recognise that work. And I do not criticise queers who decided that um, decriminalisation campaigns were kind of important, and they were uh, because well, totally, and they've been going on for they've been going on for a long time, you know. Yeah, so I think that 
uh, that is really important, and I value that very strongly. I think uh, where I get to is now we're sort of actually, in, in many ways, we're actually at a, at a, at a valuable position in relation to uh, our relationship with the state because some of those, well, the majority of those really big hurdles have been over, overcome, where the, 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 you know, the, the decriminalisation in particular um, is a very key one, that we can have a more critical view of our relationship with the state. And I would say that, so yes, things have got definitely gotten better, uh, and I think that that's an important thing to recognise, but it's not good enough. And in fact, we need to, what I fear is that, in, that what's happening is that uh, we are now taking... Too, too too bright a light. Too we've got two, uh, rose-coloured glasses when we look at the state as queer people, and that so much of our focus is on relation to recognition and protection from the state. And I actually think it's occurring. That's not a good thing, and that there's a whole range of negative consequences to that. So yes, things have gotten better, but now is a valuable time to actually sort of critique and look at our position in relation to the state and what what we you know where do we go next is the kind of question that we're asking. I mean, and you know, as always. In an ideal situation, we can do two things at once. We can continue pushing for legal reform, although there's not um, there's not heaps left in Australia mm-hmm. uh, as far as like stuff specifically. There, there, there's plenty of legal reform to be done that affects disproportionately affects um, LGBTI people, but in terms of stuff that specifically is like is directly about our communities, there, there's really not very much at all. Uh, you know, despite the kind of big ticket item of marriage equality still still being there. I think ideally we can continue to engage with those frameworks. And, you know, obviously, you know, just from a pragmatic perspective, like those connections with government have, have all sorts of benefits beyond just the, the outcome of, of law reform. I mean, they're, they're sort of, that sort of political capital is really useful. It does to some degree translate into social capital, to put it in those really, those really gross terms. <laughs> so I think that we can still engage in those frameworks while uh, critiquing them and, and, you know, ideally, both of those things would be going on in in queer communities at the same time. The problem is that they're they're, they're not, not that they're not. There are absolutely parts of queer communities that are very uh, critical of the state in kind of more radical parts of the community. But um, it's I mean, it's not really. You know, it's it's hugely disproportionate. I feel like, I feel like this kind of points to like the really obvious question to ask here. Like we're we're sort of taking it um, at face value that this is that we should be critical, <laughs> that we should be critical of the state. Maybe we need to kind of break down a little more, like, why? Okay, this is probably where I'm going to get into my little, like, spiel, I guess. I don't know. Let's, let's Do it. Let's go with that. Spiel away. <laughs> so, you know, I think I think that... So the first thing to understand or uh, that, that, I, that I want to sort of get across is, like, that the state is not a neutral body out there. Um, it's... It's, you know, that, you know, and despite all our perceptions, the state is not really, from my perspective, out there to best represent the people and to do these these great people things. The state is there as an institution for a particular reason. Um, and as a, in liberal democracies, the state is inherently connected to capitalism. Um, you know, and this is where we're going to get into a little cap- anti-capitalist rant. Where, so, you know, I'm just going to stop you really briefly. Mm-hmm. We might actually need to go back even further here and say, and define the state. Ooh, now that's interesting. Oh, I never tried to actively define the state before. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of tricky, but I feel like it, it's, you know, I feel like, you know, quote, the state is such a, like, mm. it's such a, like, wanky political theory. To, like, it's the kind of thing that's just, like, thrown around a lot in, like, theoretical uh, terms yeah. and... and Philosophical and academic terms, but we like it, it. It's it's actually kind of meaningless, I think, to most people, and, yeah. and is not as a term used very much. I mean, it, like it's. I think it it's a pretty like I would take that to mean. I mean, the gov- government obviously 
uh, so that so that includes you know the kind of the like all of the branches of government essentially the legislative mm-hmm. the uh, executive and the the judiciary as well as the kind of broadly the public service other kind of state institutions like the police force like I mean like essentially you know anywhere I guess like state state power is much more diffuse now I guess than it has been in the past in that like so much of the functions of the state are outsourced so you know I've worked for like pretty much every not-for-profit that I've... Oh, no, that's not true. Most of the not-for-profits I've worked for are, like, primarily government-funded. Um, you know, that's kind of state power. Um, so it's it's not just laws, I guess. And other institutions, I think, some of the key institutions that are really important to progressive thinking are things like welfare, schools, hospitals, uh, public or public, those sorts of publicly run institutions mm. are all the state as well. Uh, are connected to state power. And I think this is where a lot of this gets really difficult and nuanced in that, you know, I'm for public schooling. So, you know, um, you know that's, you know, that sort of nuance around that is going to be a, a challenge that we might have to deal with. But, the, you know, I think that that's pretty good. What the sort of institutions that you described are a good definition. We're not just talking about, you know, the halls of parliament, I guess, but we're also not just talking about like, it's, it's the interaction between those halls of parliament and the public service and these other, the judiciary, these other systems of, um, of, of, of state power. So when, so when we think about kind of the ways that state power is enacted on just everyday people or queers or whoever, it's not just like whether or not a law affects you. Mm. It's, it's also even things like the ways, I mean, public school is a really great example. Like the hospital system is a really great example because it's like these things that we are forced to engage with or, well, well, we're not forced to engage with, uh, but we are forced to engage with if we have no money to, to engage with these kind of public institutions and that the kind of, the, the experience of interacting with those institutions has an impact on us. So, you know, the way Absolutely. that, for example, being a student in a school socializes you in particular ways and shapes you in particular ways that's that's a very kind of a very powerful example of of state power but one that's that's much more uh, i don't know cultural i guess mm, yeah it's much more diffuse and almost mm. um uh, in many ways much less controversial and and not thought of i think it's not thought of directly as being state power but the the sort of dis- dispersion of power through these different systems is actually really an integral part of the state apparatus and and going back to where the sort of little spiel i was starting on before i think that the the relationship of queers with the state historically um, has been one of of a state looking to oppress queers because of, from my perspective, because of a fear, or not even not a fear is not quite the right word, but because of seeing queers as being dangerous to systems of capitalism in particular and systems and the state itself, and so seeing. Uh, you know, to, to take a step back, one more step back, I would argue that, uh, that capitalism requires a nuclear family to operate, for for the system to operate for a whole range of reasons, largely as a way to ensure that uh, there's a new working class coming through all the time and that also that domestic labour doesn't have to, is a sort of private, occurs in the private sphere rather than in the public sphere or or, get, or is a thing that's paid for. And that queers presented a, a threat to that because we sort of said, well, actually, no, we don't need to have these nuclear families we can have our relationships with no children and with lots of free sex and all this kind of stuff that doesn't exist inside these molds and so what we saw is a state that acted to um really in the late 1800s and and early 1900s in particular define queers as being abnormal behind homosexuality as being this abnormal thing and to work really hard to institutionalize queers in particular both through 
just imprisonment through legislation, but also through you know things like mental asylums and and this sort of classing homosexuality as a mental disorder and using um, you know and this is where sort of power gets really diffused because it's using in that instance it was using the medical industry as a way to exert, exert its power. So that's really the, you know from my perspective the history of the state repressing queers. What, what, what I think I would argue, and, and why we have to be critical of the state now, even as things have gotten better, is that the, the, the goal of the state hasn't changed in many ways, or in, in, in all ways. And what's happened is that that system of the family is still really important. It's still one that is um, being pursued very strongly. But what we've got is just an adaption of state. You know, as, as, as homosexuality has become more accepted, you have an adaption of state goals, or state, sorry, not state goals, state tactics. And what we're seeing is the, the bringing of queers into the system and a whole range of rules that come with that bringing of queers into the system of being recognised by the state that changes potentially changes who we are as a community. And so I think that's the key thing for me about being critical about this, about our relationship with the state is does having a, a good relationship or trying to have protection and um, and uh, what was the other word we used protection and um, recognition, recognition from the yeah recognition from the state is that changing who is it, who we are as a community is it changing our own values and I think it largely is and that's the major problem that I that I have and the, the thing that we need to be critical of sure I mean I, I suppose I would you know that's a very a very clear thesis statement uh, <laughs> it is my uh, thesis uh, statement <laughs> well I was about to say yeah I mean this is something that you've done a lot of research on I mean I, I suppose I would I would just be keen to make messy that up mess that up a little bit it, and, and I get broaden it out somewhat not not so much as a critique but just to kind of broaden it you know, I would say to to go to the, the the first part of that around your motivations for the state to be oppressing queer communities. I mean, I think mm. that like you don't even you don't necessarily need to look directly to um, capitalism to to find that. I mean, you can you can also look at the much more obvious kind of thing of just populism and you know the desire for institutions of power to retain power. Um, and populism is a kind of uh, 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 has been historically an effective vehicle for that, and that you know whether like obviously there is a co-constructive relationship between attitudes towards for example homosexuality in the public and attitudes from the state more directly but you know i think there are there are certainly uh historical examples of the state persecuting queers because like that's you know to play into these kind of fears in the population around around the other and kind of rallying mm. essentially like forming nationalism through uh, creating a kind of other to persecute absolutely yeah yeah and the second point i would make is i mean i think i totally agree with what you're saying around that we should be critical like if this thing is having such an influence if this thing being our relationship with the state is having such an influence over who we are and how we operate that is of course then by default something we should be critical of because we want to have some agency in in how we um, define ourselves and shape ourselves but I feel like there's a just like a way more again like direct and I guess yeah I don't know direct is maybe the best word direct motivation for being critical of the state is is because like in the same way that we should be critical of all powerful powerful institutions especially ones that have a history of persecuting us which is that they could persecute us again yes more specifically that because of the ways that that persecution, if you look at kind of quiz as a whole, whatever that means, uh, is unevenly distributed. There are there are plenty of people in society now who are like queer people who are persecuted by the state. I mean, mm-hmm. a really obvious example is that like 
you know, trans women, for example, uh, um, experience kind of significant trauma within the the prison system, trans women and trans men for that matter. So, you know, the gendered nature of the prison system, already a kind of really kind of violent and horrible state institution is, is, that is exacerbated, you know, exponentially by, by the experience of, of being uh, trans in, in that system. And so, like, we should be critical of it because, of the set because it could um, persecute us again. And also because if we have some solidarity as a community, we should recognize that some people will benefit from an increased relationship with the state and w- while other people are necessarily um, being left behind. And we can't, we can't forget that, you know, like there's an element of kind of throwing people under the bus here that like by engaging with the state as a, as a, as a whole, you know, are we kind of just going, well, you know, those people who like, you know, like also like, people like sex workers, people like drug users, like all those people that, that really experience significant state violence. You know, are we, are we, are we saying if we're not critical of that relationship, are we saying we don't care about those people? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's good examples of the, um, the state persecuting us again, you know, we sort of framed some of this about things being getting significantly better. Uh, and I think in Australia, that's largely true, but then you look at examples of the United States, for example, uh, where you've seen quite a strong anti-trans backlash, in particular, being implemented through state apparatus. Um, so, apparati- apparatuses? Apparati... I don't know. Some sort of plural of apparatus. One of those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, North Car- the North Carolina example is being... The bill of being the... The, you know, the bathroom bill being the perfect example of this, of a, of a, of a state, and a, a US state, a state government, sort of um, implementing, sort of taking rights back backwards actually in that in that state and making more restrictive and that that occurring what's really interesting about that is that it occurred in such with such speed you know and, and there's been a lot of talk recently in Australia as well about sort of a right-wing backlash to pro, to queer progress um you know coming with the 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 attacks on the safe schools coalition you know I I think that we haven't seen the same level as what's occurred in the United States in some ways, um, as the sort of backlash that has occurred that, you know, in, in North Carolina created legislation that got passed very quickly and that had a real impact very quickly. And and that's possible to occur. Our relationship with the state is not based on a genuine, in my view, it's not based on a genuine recognition from the state that we are, you know, suddenly, that suddenly sees us as, as real human beings who deserve protection. It's based on us uh, as queers proving to them that we can be part of the system and that the moment we start to th- we, we would ever threaten that again they will turn on, on us just as quickly or the moment that it becomes politically cl- convenient for a political party to frame us the, as the dangerous other again it'll be very easy for the state to turn us turn on us again very quickly and th- and that's happened through history and it and it can happen again so it's 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 a it's a weak relationship that doesn't actually do us, you know, that, that we can't rely on long long term. I mean, why do you think that we are looking to the state more and more? Like, why, you know, how have we, how have we gotten to this situation? Why, why is the kind of the voice of, you know, anti-state radicals, which, which were a huge part of, of queer political movements, you know, uh, 40 years ago, what, you know, why, why is that kind of diminished so much? Okay. So I think, 
Um, look, to the, the the answer to this is probably the answer to everything that we hate in this podcast, which is identity politics. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, in, a, in a really interesting kind of way. So, so from my perspective, and I'm going to take us do a little. Sorry, I'm spieling a lot in this in this episode because I'm like doing my thesis on this, my PhD thesis on this. So this is kind yes. of um, so. So apologies to listeners. So he knows what he's talking about, people. So from my perspective, what's really interesting about queer relationships with the state is that if you go back a hundred years and and a lot of people don't recognize this that if you go back to the late 1800s early 1900s the very idea of homosexuality was not even a thing like people had sex with other people but there was no term homosexuality and there was no term heterosexual either Uh, and what we saw in that period was the scientific community in particular starting to to define homosexual and heterosexual as a way of delineating between the normal and the abnormal sexualities and that led to a whole bunch of repression in the in the early 1900s um, and and end up to the 1950s and 60s and beyond but it was the the key thing that was used as to, to as a way to label homosexuals as being um mentally uh, as as a mental illness and all that kind of stuff which was which is you know the, the the campaigns to get that removed was really important what's really interesting for me is when you come to the 60s and 70s or, or, be, or even before this when you sort of have this um this history where those terms have been used and the ident- the way that that uh, those terms have then been used as a way to sort of create a, a core identity for someone. So you're, you, so it's not just that you had these uh, these these labels placed on placed onto you, but you were identified as a heterosexual or a homosexual, and you see you're becoming this sort of sexual being um, through these identities. And so what happened when queers started to campaign for rights is that they adopted those identities, which had kind of been given to them by the state in many ways, and that became a core part of our very. Uh, of, of our campaigning and our, and our very being. So what you have this interesting thing where, and this is a thesis I'm working on, where what what occurred is the, the, the very identifiers that we have were given to us by the state. And so we were sort of created by the state and in many ways. Identity structures were created by the state. And so when it comes to campaigning, it became natural to then turn towards the state to sort of as the way to sort of give us protection and to, and to get rid of those legal structures that had been created, you know, created just in many cases just recently. Um, so it's, so it's a nature of, you know, I think, I think it's a nature of this sort of creation of, of, of the very idea of identity being a sexual, sorry, of your sexuality being core to your identity, which was sort of a very, which was a strategy used by the state and medical and scientific medical structures in particular as a way to oppress, but then sort of turning that back on the state to say, well, now, you know, if, if we, uh, accept, you know, change our behaviours in particular ways, then we can be accepted in. So that gives us a relationship to the state in some ways. Am I making sense or am I just... You, you, yeah, no, you are making sense. It's just funny. Um, it, uh, I mean, I feel like the way you're saying it almost makes it sound like like we we have been predestined to end up here by the fact that we, we were kind of granted these identities by the state. But I, like, I think it, it's also a... Oh, sometimes I just feel like... I feel like a parody of myself. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna say I'm just gonna talk about Sometimes capitalism again, um, because I, I, this is something I'm not sure if we've talked explicitly about this on the podcast, but you and I wrote an article for Overland Magazine. Uh, was that last year? It was last it was like year. It was ages ago. That that talked a bit about the relationship between capitalism and identity politics, and I and I think that that's uh, that's relevant here in that. You know, there's this idea in some anti-capitalist theory about about naming, like naming something being a kind of part of the the process of turning it into capital. I think that's mm-hmm. a Zizek thing. I don't know. I don't know my theorists. Don't you know? No one looks that up because um, it's probably wrong. But 
yeah, I mean, it's 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 almost like it's it's not just about that creating a relationship with the state, but it's like the idea of even inventing homosexuality and calling that thing a thing and making it a thing, like ties us up into systems of capital mm. that as soon as you give something a name. Uh, as soon as you make it discreet and real, you can commodify it. Essentially, you can you can incorporate it into all of the different apparatuses that exist within capitalism. So whether that's the kind of stuff you're talking about uh, uh, through, like you know, as soon as it exists, we can say that it's a mental illness, and then we have to repeal that, and that kind of ties us up into all of those structures. It's also like the more obvious things like you know you can it becomes like literally a market that you can that you can sell to which is Absolutely. kind of what we what we and and a market that exists for labor and all of those things which is something that we kind of talked about more explicitly in this article which we can link to if we haven't so haven't done so already but it yeah no it's 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 fascinating because it it does just it uh, again at the risk of sounding like a parody of myself it does just kind of tie together a lot of the things that we're interested in uh, you and I personally and on this podcast um, into into one sort of idea. It's funny when it, whenever I say like, well, it's all to do with capitalism on this podcast. I'm like, oh god, what am I talking about? But that's just basically what this podcast is in some ways. So I we shouldn't we, sure, should, we shouldn't sure. be ashamed of that. <laughs> well, I think I think we should be a little ashamed. I, you know, I, th- I, th- I think Simon's almost looks like he's about to wet himself. Um, <laughs> you know, it's probably we. I, I think there is a genuine risk of us becoming parodies of ourselves if we're there not is, careful. So good is. to good to good to actually critique where we're coming and from. If Particularly in this podcast, where I can get on my little um, my my thesis rant, it's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to be like, "Hey, Simon, step back for a second and actually think about this," rather than the the books that you've been reading every day for the last. I feel like, I feel like I'm just enabling you, though. That's the. I am okay with that, though. <laughs> but I think, like, I th- actually think you're like, I think that you're talking about the the naming of it is exactly what I was trying to get at, and you actually ended up describing what I was trying to argue much better than I did. Um, in naming homosexuality, capital, uh, the state be a- became able to um, regulate it in some ways. And then... And not, t- just, not just the state, but like the, you know, the market. The market as well, yeah, yeah. And then... And so what that means is that inevitably when we came to the point where we where you know and, and campaigns for make, taking homosexuality off mental disorder lists have, you know, been around for as long as we, you know, for the, as you know, since we were put onto mental disorder lists. But as as things have gotten, um, you know, better for queers, as as regulations have changed and and those things have been uh, revoked and and you know things have gotten better, our relationship with the state has the the the, the nature of that relationship is still the same, and that it's still the state regulating us as a you know the state and market regulating our sexuality. It's just being done in a different kind of way. And what I would argue is that what we're seeing now, particularly since um, you know, particularly with for example with marriage equality campaigns, is that you're seeing it sort of being um, our sexuality being regulated in a less sort of hard-handed approach it's less you know put us in prisons but it's more on a like we'll give you access to these particular things if you um, start to conform to particular norms so you can have access Mm. to marriage you know and you see this a lot with conservative reactions to marriage equality campaigns you know the famous david cameron speech where he said that you know i I don't support marriage equality in spite of being a conservative because i'm a conservative because of the seeing of the capacity of queers to sort of, or maybe more specifically homosexuals, to be able to sort of build the institution of marriage and to be able to make it stronger by coming in, having children, um, getting rid of the sort of promiscuous value, you know, ways that, you know, the promiscuous and inverted quotes, ways that we've had in the past, the, free, the ideas of free sex, you know, the ideas of 
challenging the nature of marriage as an institution, all that kind of stuff. So it's like, come in if you if you let go of that sort of 1970s, 60s free sex stuff that you used to do. Totally. I mean, the, the best way to like defeat anything is to co-opt it. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think that that's what has the state has effectively done is done very very well particularly in western countries in the last you know 20 or 30 years and and so what and I, and I think we have to be critical of that and that's that's i guess the the crux of this episode is that i think that that is the the, the, the critical nature that i would like to take towards the state is like well what is the relationship actually doing to us as a community and i don't think it's particularly good i mean given how all-encompassing the you know if we if we talk about like what the political fights are or the 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 kind of you know the activism that we see in a lot of queer communities is so like it's so much of it is about the state like mm. it's certainly the big high profile ones as we've discussed i mean what are the what i suppose two two questions here the first being what are the i feel like i'm just asking you a lot of questions it's fine what are the alternatives in terms of uh, strengthening our communities or, you know, forwarding our goals or whatever? And then secondly, can we point to examples where that's already happening? I mean, I, I suppose to, you know, to briefly speak to the second one, I yeah, think there it. are some examples. I mean, even if I think about the work that I used to do in the HIV sector, I mean, obviously that stuff, that that sector is all very government funded. You know, it's it's arguably, you know, an extension of state power as well in that sense, the kind of really big programs that are rolled out um, by those organizations. But there's, there's stuff, I think, that happens within those spaces that are interesting. I mean, I think this is something I have talked about on the podcast before, but the they're called Prep Access Now, yep, which is yep. a, a group that, uh, a group of, I think they're all gay men, who uh, have been facilitating access to uh, PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis of HIV. It's a, a very briefly a pill that you take every day and it, it can stop you from contracting HIV, even if you have sex without a condom. And that... I mean, that to me is an example. It's a really great example of lots of things. And I think one of them is is this really, this activism that is completely separate from the state and is in fact about getting around restrictions created by the state uh, to be able to access uh, access that drug. So I think, you know, that's that's an example. Yeah, and I think the history but of HIV... In terms of more... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that I think the history of HIV activism, I think probably particularly in the US, less so in Australia because the Australian government was quicker onto the issue than the US government was. But if you look at the the, 19, yes, the yeah. 1980s, uh, HIV act, act, activism was uh, significantly about going around the state and it was about queers in particular, but, you know, other other people as well, building up their own knowledge about the the potential um, of treatment for the uh, for the for HIV and um, you know and and doing a lot of the work that the state is kind of expected to do, be, uh, mm. but not but, but, but was refusing yeah, it's to fascinating. do. That's that is you're right. That is such a great example because there's so much of that. I mean, the the like buyers clubs exactly, are the, yeah. the obvious example, but there's heaps there's heaps of other stuff. I mean, like the whole like science equals death is that essentially mm-hmm. the the like kind of famous saying is is kind of saying about the fact that the government was, you know, still the kind of narrative around, you know, th- thankfully still the narrative around the AIDS crisis in the US in the 80s is that, like, the Reagan government killed gay men by yeah, not yeah. acting on the AIDS crisis. And, and um, so much... There are, there are, oh, sorry. No, no, that's all right. I would cut you off. Um, I was going to say, you know, so, so much of the... Um, the activism there was a lot of activism about trying to force the government to do more, but there was a whole lot more that sort of was, and I guess in many ways because HIV the crisis was 
about survival at that point in time. So people couldn't, you know, it's not like marriage equality where people can, you know, aren't, people aren't going to, you know, can wait. People aren't going to die yeah. because marriage equality isn't occurring. Whereas in that case, people were dying. So there was this kind of dual thing of like trying to force the government to do more, whilst at the same time saying we need to do something because they're refusing to do it. And so totally. we will, we will find the knowledge. We will import the drugs. We will create these buyers clubs. We will you know, do the research, we will do all of this sort of stuff and do it ourselves. And 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 that process had a major impact on the government processes at the same time. It wasn't just a, you know, please help us, please save us kind of approach. It's like, we're working here to save ourselves because you're refusing to do it. Yeah, it just reminds me of this like really amazing story that I heard about the Australian context, about, I wish I could remember who 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 was involved, but it, w- it was at a, a club in i'm pretty sure in melbourne oh, this is story sounding vaguer and vaguer but where <laughs> like they the basically drag queens were incorporating safe safe sex messages into drag shows so i remember hearing this story from it must have been someone i interviewed years ago for a story uh about some like kind of skit about a, a like I think it was about using protection for like rimming or something because this was in the early days when we didn't quite know how HIV was transmitted yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the person on stage, like, got, I think they got a volunteer from the crowd and just like wrapped them up in just like huge amounts of Glad wrap, essentially, as this kind <laughs> of like funny sort of like you know here's how you protect yourself from HIV. And the there ended up being I think uh, the story I heard was that there ended up being a public health official in the crowd who'd been kind of brought brought there by someone in the community to kind of show them about these kind of education eff- efforts that the community was doing themselves. And that ended up kind of having an impact on on government policy around like mm. um, funding the community to develop our own safe sex campaigns, essentially. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But there's there's lots of that kind of stuff where like in the early days of the the AIDS epidemic, I mean, gay men were kind of were doing everything, like were, were the kind of guinea pigs in their own like research on on what is you know what is and isn't spreading hiv and you know like obviously i would never wish for that again as a like uh, an, an impetus to be doing work outside of the confines of the uh, of, of relationships with the state but it is a kind of nice example to show that it can happen. Mm-hmm. I think another nice. example... Nice is the wrong word. Nice yeah. is probably the wrong word, but it is an example. I think another example that I just want to touch on, and I, I don't know the full details of this, so I'm going to have to um, research it. Maybe I can come back to, to it in another episode. But I was talking to a colleague uh, who was telling me about an, an old organisation uh, in Australia in the sort of 70s and... Uh, 60s and 70s, and we were talking about queer sc- um, safe schools and uh, this organisation would write their own books on queerness, I guess, um, uh, for young people, um, and then would go into schools and put them in the libraries themselves. And they would just do that uh, rather than, you know, you know, and sort of just do that actively and proactively and just go in and place books in and give them to schools and, and do that work themselves. They didn't rely on the, on the, on the government to do that they just said well look we want to help educate queers we don't you know you know we can just do this process and and sort of do it actively and and again you know it's kind of one of those interesting things of like you know we've we've talked about safe schools and i think that having these sorts of programs is good but you know being able to have stuff that's led by a community is is kind of really great too uh and you know so maybe going back to that first question you had about sort of how can we do things differently i think there's i've probably got two answers to that and maybe i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on on this as well 
I think that first is like we need to be more, more critical of the state and actually have take a critical lens when engaging with the state. My, my view is not that we don't ever engage with the state, you know, and that, that the state is a thing. It's a big thing. We talked about the power that it has. You know, we can't just divorce ourselves from that entirely. So I think we've got to have... Sure, we can't pretend that power doesn't exist. Exactly. So we've got to engage with it. Um, we've got to engage with it more crit- critically. And we've got to recognise that, like, the state is still a, a system of power that is still using its power against us and and will continue to do so and can turn on us very quickly. And so we've got to be have that critical lens to the state, which I just think doesn't exist in many kind of ways. And then the second response, I guess, is to, to be able to put more emphasis on community... Um, and maybe this is—I think this is something we come to come to con- this conclusion a lot, um, you know, in a lot of our episodes. You know, to, to, to be able to put the, the to, to you know a lot of the discourse around the state is like giving power to the state in particular ways about you know protection and recognition, and you know I think that we could turn that back and actually say, well, actually let's have a focus on community and not just queer communities, but just community in general and the ability of, of us to as a community to work together to be able to both I guess deal with things like homophobia and the need to deal with that at a at a, at a street by street level, rather than necessarily dealing with it, a, a, you know, relying on the state to do that for us, but also just as a way to sort of, you know, make happy lives. And one of the best examples, you know, the best the example that keeps coming to my mind is, is is goes back to marriage equality, and so much of the sort of discourse around marriage equality is like, if I can't have my relationship recognised by the state or by a government, then it doesn't feel like a real, you know, then it sort of has this, you know, this it diminishes my relationship in some kind of way. And, and that's sort of a really emotional uh, language that gets used quite a lot. And sort of my perspective as someone who's not married and doesn't want to get married is kind of like, well, I'm in a relationship and I don't need my relationship to be recognised by the government because my relationships are recognised by my community very strongly. And that's actually the community relationship that a recognition that is far more important to me. And seeing that there's a value in like the people around me supporting me and caring for me rather than the government caring for me, I think is actually much more valuable and is actually has, has, has much more meaning to me. And I think that that sort of discussion is something that we could have more strongly. Mm. I mean, the, like, I mean, marriage is kind of a weird yeah. one because it is, in Australia at least, like almost entirely a symbolic mm, mm. thing. Uh, yeah, which, and I guess she probably reinforces kind of, what I'm trying to say in that... It was, no, totally. It, it, kind of, it kind of works in both ways in that it's like... You know, it's entirely kind of this this symbol that we've created, but it's also like, you know, other than what you're saying of that kind of symbolic recognition outside of the state, it's it's hard to kind of talk about concrete pathways towards you know, like how how we might sort of act on it. Um, mm. Whereas I think the safe schools is a kind of interesting one because you know we might be able to imagine similar ways forward to what you were talking about, and you know HIV is another one. There's lots of other stuff you know that that's also happening in that space. I was thinking about Tim, for example, the Institute of Many, which is this kind of social yep. and yep. and kind of community support space. Um, that's you know that's an interesting kind of non-state engagement with with those issues. <laughs> Sorry, you, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because every time I don't know why, but I think for like. Like the first time I heard about the Institute of Many, I read it as the Institute of Mary, and I was totally confused. <laughs> and then I read it properly, and it made made, made much more sense. And I was like, "Is it this does, kind of does. like religious HIV organization?" But then I knew who's running it, and I'm like, "That doesn't make sense." And anyway, so now yeah, yeah. it made it made much the more Institute sense. Institute of I... Mary, Mother of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it made much more sense when I actually realised what its real name was. Yes. Anyway, so that's just a little aside. Now we we have got this conversation's gone on for quite a long time, so. Um, we probably need to wrap it up. I feel like I feel like there's so much that we could yeah. still talk about here. So we might come. It maybe it would be nice to do a, a, 
almost like have an episode focused specifically on like responses and yeah, I think they could be really interesting. You know, what what we might do because I you know I'd love to to talk more about that that community building stuff too, which you're right is a theme that we come back to again and again. Yeah, but if you don't mind, we might wrap it up there. Sounds great to me. So thank you for listening as always. Um, we will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, you can catch us on queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. And the, the usual pleading, please leave us a review and rating, which will help other people find us. You know, we're not relying so much on the state, but we're relying on the, the metrics of iTunes so people can find us. We're relying on the real state, <laughs> Apple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the deep state. Or maybe it's like the shallow state. <laughs> it is. It yeah, is. It is. The global state. The sh- yeah, indeed. Indeed. Oh God, that's yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you can also you can also send us an email, which you should definitely do, and people do, and and we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is queerspodcast at gmail We're also on Twitter, where you can talk to us in real time if we happen to be on there. But you know, feel free to jump on and abuse us. Um, I mean, no, don't do that. I don't know why I said that. So jump on and say nice things. Yeah, be lovely to us. Yeah, be nice to us. Or, or you know, thoughtful or critical or blah, blah, blah. I am at Ben C. Riley. And I'm on Twitter at Simon Copland. And also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. Now, because we appear to have gotten a bit delirious here at the end of the, at the, end of the episode, we'll end, we'll end it now. Um, and we will see you all next time. Looking forward to it as always. 